here we are. Our first Sunday of Advent is, uh, is here. I was talking to Randall. This is our ninth Advent here at Anchor Church, the ninth time we have celebrated Advent. And so I want to I welcome you. Welcome to Advent at Anchor Church. Um, Lauren has a friend, that's my wife, who, who said that as we get older, the days get longer, but the years get shorter. As we get older, the days get longer, but the years get shorter. And uh, I really feel that. I really feel that. And, and I'm finding that it's kind of funny that <clears throat> as, as I move through life, and I find myself reminiscing more often. Um, growing up, and even when we got married, I was not someone who really spent time reminiscing. I was very focused on what's next, what's in front of me. But especially with the holidays rolling around, I find myself talking to my parents more, talking to my sister more, and, and kind of reminiscing about good memories from Christmas and from holidays and, and from life. And do you remember that? And yeah, I remember that. And we all get out a kick. We all get a kick out of it. And, and even though I'm in a stage of life with many new things, there is a certain comfort in taking time to remember. Even as life goes fast, there's something about taking time to slow and look back and remember that is encouraging to us. And I'm sure that you've probably experienced this as well. It kind of hits us extra hard in the holiday season. We've all here probably found that as we move through life, the, the growing and the changing of life, the learning and the unlearning, the constructing of new things, the deconstructing of old things, there's this thing called recency bias that says that what has happened most recently is strongest in our memory and compels our actions the most. We naturally forget about things that have happened in the past. The new and the fresh often lead us to forget the importance of our previous circumstances. And it's worse, it leads us to forget the faithfulness of God throughout our life so far. And though it isn't helpful to live in the past, I think everyone will tell you that, it's good to remember where we come from. And it's good to remember what has happened in the past, even though we do our best not to dwell there. And so enters Advent. Advent is a spiritual rhythm that, that visits us every year around this time. And it, what it does is it invites us to look backwards and to gaze forwards. For those who might be unfamiliar or maybe need a refresher, Advent literally means the arrival. Advent signifies the arrival of Christ. That hit at the perfect time. Advent invites us to ponder something ancient, something much older than we are, and far more proven than the things that we think we know. We remember that the birth of Christ and, and the spiritual ramifications of the birth of Christ and the historical nature of the birth of Christ all speak to our Christian life and our really full year existence, even outside of the Advent season. Advent also compels us to look forwards to what the future holds for all of us through the hope of Christ. This is good news. 
Advent opens the door for all people to experience the miracle of Christmas. And this year, as with every other year, the miracle of Jesus is available to all people. Which is why our series this year is called Good News, Christmas for All. Christmas is not something set aside just for us who know Jesus, obviously. It's become a phenomenon of corporations and, uh, if we're pessimistic, corporate greed, and if we're positive, feelings of family and excitement. But what we want to do here is remind ourselves that the heart of Christmas is good news. The core of Advent is the miracle of Christ. And in that miracle of Christ, there is hope for all people. So tonight on this, tonight, whoa, I haven't done that yet. Here we are on Sunday mornings now. This morning on our first Sunday, custom dictates that our focus is not on the past, but on the future. The first Sunday of Advent is the hope of Christ's second coming, prophesied throughout all of the scriptures. When I sit down and think about Advent, at first, when you, when you realize that the first Sunday of Advent is not actually the birth of Christ, but it's the second coming of Christ, doesn't often make a whole lot of sense. It feels like, you know, for my chronological brain, we would start at the birth of Christ and, and move forward. Towards the conclusion of Advent, we would accept Christ's second coming. Wouldn't that make more sense? But the format of Advent is intentional. Its structure is deliberate in informing our faith. See, we start not with the birth, but with the second coming, because the second coming reminds us that Christ's birth, Christ's death, and all of his works therein are incomplete without his return. Charles Spurgeon wrote that everything in history works up to the consummation of an atoning Savior. Everything points to the return of Christ. Now, if we switch seats this morning, if I were where you were and had the opportunity to ask a question, the question I would ask is this. Shouldn't we be more concerned with the present? Shouldn't we be more concerned with what's happening right now? We just prayed for more gun violence, and that feels like something that maybe we should be concerned with and are concerned with. Sometimes... It makes more sense to be present than to look forward. Given all that's going on in people's lives and all around the world, not just here in the United States, shouldn't we focus more on the now? Shouldn't we put our energies into the now? Can't the future wait? Our text tonight is a prophecy that speaks to this idea. It's from the book of Isaiah. In this moment in history, God's people found themselves in a dark place. Yet, Isaiah preaches of a determined future for the people of God. Hear the word of the Lord. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and the people from all over the world will stream there to worship. 
People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for more, nor train for war anymore. The word of the Lord. My outline tonight is really simple. I'm simply going to make two theological statements, and we're going to unpack them together. Number one, Jesus was born to establish a kingdom of hope. All throughout the Old Testament, the story that is formed is centered upon God and his relationship with his people. All of the highs and all of the lows Yet woven into this narrative is a promise that God will be sending them a savior. Who it was, they did not know. When this savior would come, they did not know. All they had was a promise and prophecy. Prophet Samuel spoke of it in 2 Samuel. He said, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's in this spirit of hope And this sensation of longing, the King David writes through, by the way, his genealogy, the Savior would come. The king of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. As I've come to understand this history within the Old Testament, the reality of God's people in these moments, I'm struck by the level of hope that was required of them in this season. There was no skill to grow. There was no competency that if they mastered it would speed along or usher in their Savior. The only thing that they could do was wait. And we're not very good at waiting. So I'm imagining they probably weren't very good at waiting either. Their engine of faith ran on the fuel of promise. And the engine of their faith ran on the fumes of hope. They believed that one day the people of God would ascend his mountain. And they would be present with God. And God would be present with them. And they had a, a confidence that, that when this happened, there would be peace everlasting. It would inspire nations and rulers to turn their weapons of war into tools that cultivate life. Plows and pruning forks. 
It was a hope that war and death and destruction would pass, that it would leave the earth. And yet, in the midst of this hope, there remained darkness, which is where our Advent story begins. It's referred to as the years of silence, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years passed over this time. And in these 400 years, God was quiet. There was no interaction between God and his people. All that they had was hope. All that they had were the scriptures to keep them company and remind them that there is something good in front of them. What we come to find out is that this good was the birth of Jesus. But for four centuries, for us, that would be 1620. So from 1620 to right now, nothing from God. And yet, they waited. And they prayed. And yet still, there was nothing but silence. The people of God had two things onto which they could cling. The promises of the past and the hope of the future. In these quiet moments, they would hear the words of Isaiah. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And in the darkness, they would hold on to the assurance that his government and his peace, it will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. But understand that that was very far from their experience. That was not what the people of God were living through even as they read that. They were under a government who believed in beating them down and keeping their foot on their neck. Yet still, they hoped. Yet still, they prayed and welcomed the Savior. And then, Isaiah's prophecy came true. Isaiah wrote, Those who were walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light He was here. Their savior had come. Hope had quite literally been born. This light that pierced the darkness was Jesus. And he'd come to establish his kingdom. Not built upon power or prestige or wealth. But a kingdom built on the foundation of hope. Fact number two. In Christ's kingdom, death is exchanged for life until his return when there will be no more death, only life. This statement is the heart of our teaching text from Isaiah tonight. The hope that came with Jesus' birth was, in the spirit of thanksgiving, an appetizer. 
If you can believe it, it was just a small taste of what was to come. Again, as, I, as Isaiah wrote in our, in our teaching text, upon Christ's return, upon the second coming of Christ, the Lord will mediate between nations, will settle, settle international disputes, they will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. That is the reality of the future. But even now, as the Israelites experienced for 400 years the silence of God, we have the Holy Spirit with us, yes, but we still do not have that. When we look at that, that does not look like what we are experiencing right now. Not even close. But the culmination of the prophecies of the Savior, Jesus' birth, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, they all find their fulfillment in the second coming of Christ. And that is the first promise of Advent. The first promise of Advent is that these words of Isaiah will come true. The hope of Christ will come to pass in every situation, in every season, for every nation, every individual. Warring armies will have nothing to do because there is no more war. But yet, here we are. As king and ultimate judge, God will help all nations settle their differences. He will remove cause for war. He will render weapons and tools for destruction completely unnecessary. The peace of Christ will reign eternally. This is why tradition dictates that we start here. Because what is in front of us is, if you can believe it, even greater than what has come before. The reality of Christ and the future of Christ's return is even greater than the birth, the life, and the death of Christ, which is pretty unbelievable. In this moment, the world will be transformed. Christ will be the final judge. Nationalism will disappear, replaced with the kingdom of God. Death will die. Charles Spurgeon writes, The first coming of Christ was like a bridge which crossed the chasm and made a way of access from God to man, and then from man to God. Our Lord's second advent, arrival, will make that bridge far broader until heaven shall come down to earth, and ultimately earth shall go up to heaven. Yet, we aren't there yet. We aren't there yet. This amazing promise of Advent is yet to come, still to be fulfilled. Just like the people of God throughout the years of silence, all we can do is hope. Yeah, as we wait, there is still darkness. Sin still rules the earth. Pain and anguish are companions for many. The holiday season is often a reminder of what we lost. 
the Christmas season can be really hard because it is a monument in time for the change of life. Christmas often finds empty seats around a table that were full last year. Gifts that no longer need to be purchased. Every season of celebration often comes with moments of mourning. That is the reality of life on earth. That these happy moments have in them moments of sadness. Because it reminds us of what we've lost. Of what's missing, of what we don't have. Yet the followers of Jesus know that there is a cure for death. There is a light for darkness. And that light and that cure is Jesus himself. David writes in Psalm 36 that that this Savior is the fountain of life, the light by which we see. This is why we often find that Jesus is referred to as the light of life. Because life is dark, but Jesus is light. This is a fitting metaphor for us as as we think about Advent, the arrival, and this season, in this year of 2022. The first Advent in history coincided with the end of a 400-year silence. It was the end of 400 years of darkness. Out of darkness came a great light, small in frame, but mighty in power. Jesus lighting up the darkness, the hope for all people. Tonight, what Advent seeks, I said it again, this morning, as Advent seeks to remind us that the hope that we have in Jesus, while we wait in expectation, is a hope for the end of all of the things that cause us pain, that cause us death, that cause us frustration. And they will be replaced by hope in abundance. So I'd like to point us toward our Advent wreath here. Each of these candles represents a moment in Advent. And from here on out, we'll be lighting these at the beginning of our gathering, but it felt appropriate for the first week of Advent to draw our focus here. Because what is a candle but a little spark of light? They act as a symbol for the theme of Advent in our lives. The symbol for tonight is the candle of hope. The hope that we have Christ's return. I'm going to invite Shelley to come. And I'd like to draw our attention to a specific moment that is about to happen. And that is when Shelley lights that candle, light will shine. And when that light shines, it represents the light 
that cuts through the darkness. In our own life, in our own heart, in our own minds, in our own families, in our own situations, in this Advent season. So, as we wait for the second coming of Christ, we have a hope. We have a hope. Shelly, would you come? We have a hope. A light in the darkness. And the exciting thing is, as we move through Advent, we just add more light. And that's what this is all about. That's what Advent is all about. The light of Christ and his first coming and his second coming. That as we leave this space this morning, that we leave with light. It's not lost on me that light has two meanings. Light and lightness. That as we leave this space, we have a lightness about us because of the light of hope. We have hope. You have hope. That's it. And that concludes our first teaching for the Advent season here in 2022. Shelly's going to come and read a, a scripture that corresponds with the lighting of hope, and then we're going to sing. So I would invite you to stand this morning. Hear these words from the scriptures. May they encourage you. And as we sing, may we, may we be encouraged that Christ is with us, even as we wait for his return. Thanks, everyone. Merry Christmas.